The following is not intended for younger audiences. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome, everyone, to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I'm Dude Two, Joe. Is it, I don't, was, there, was there a delay on my end? Because it took yes, a second was. for the response. <laughs> okay, I was, so I I was very worried. Sure. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh no, what happened? Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, we are continuing our trek through october where we're celebrating scurry movies spooky movies of all sorts today we got a a really interesting uh pairing for you guys uh we're sort of breaking our own rule kind of not that not that we haven't done it before but like um when it comes to talking about uh a movie and i guess it's sequel we're, we're kind of breaking that rule but uh Thankfully, this is, I think this is going to be an interesting enough uh, pairing in that regard. Um, but before we get into that, we do have some tragic news, uh, in case you guys haven't heard this by now. But um, uh, two legendary actors have sadly passed, um, the first of which is uh, a legend on stage, screen, small screen, big screen, uh, I think... A lot of people might know her, especially from our age group, as Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast. Um, the great Angela Lansbury passed away. How old was she? Ninety-six. So she's 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 been she's she, she's been on and on, man. She she must have had a good one, good life. I mean, her career spanned over seven decades, and when you think about the the likes of people that she has worked with, um. You know, of course, there's Gaslight from the 40s. She got to work with Ingrid Bergman. I actually watched her in an old, in like a 1940s Technicolor version of The Three Musketeers. Dude, this movie had Gene Kelly and Vincent Price. Like, and then um, obviously, how could how could how could you have how could you have better? Really, like that, like it's amazing. Um, and I like a couple years ago, she was in Mary Poppins Returns, which had you know, uh. You know Emily Blunt, um, and Lin Manuel Miranda. So like, and Paddington, and Paddington himself. Yes, Paddington himself. Ben Whishaw, my man. Um. So, but also like, as far as we, we've mentioned, I think we briefly mentioned Angela Lansbury when we talked about the film version of um, Sweeney Todd. You know, should be noted because she was the original Mrs. Lovett. Was, Mrs. Lovett. Um. Of course, and of course, Murder She Wrote. You know, did that 
for a very long time. Uh, one, you know, it was nominated, excuse me, for many Emmys for that. Um, and I also, just as a weird thing, I also knew her as like the host of the Wizard of Oz documentary. Uh, there was like a Wizard of Oz like TV documentary they put on all the DVDs and the Blu-rays. Um, it's it's still on disc, so if you ever get the Wizard of Oz on disc, it's it's definitely there. Um, you know, but um, incredible life, incredible uh, career, like, and somebody who really like put her all into things. Like I don't like people have been sharing like behind the scenes like vo voice uh, voiceover um, sessions for Beauty and the Beast, and like. Each, like when she's doing like be our guest and like she's there like you know it's uh it's it's incredible so um uh, i think was we're recording this they're gonna dim the lights on broadway tonight um in her honor so you know pretty fitting rest in peace yes absolutely um and then another unfortunate loss um robbie coltrane uh we talked about him in our last episode it's, a, it's just such a strange thing to think about it's like we were not that it you know amounts to anything but like we were just talking about him yeah um and how much we love him as mr hyde and van helsing um but of course so many people especially again in our age group um know him as hagrid in the harry potter films uh incredible performance um and he's also he's had such an incredible career himself uh it, it was funny because like I remember when I was a kid, because like my dad's a big James Bond fan, and I remember him showing up in a James Bond movie, and I went, "Oh!" Mm -hmm. Like I got so excited, I was like, "I know who that is!" So, but that one, that one was also he was seven, wasn't he? Seventy two, seventy two. Yeah. Um, I think the the thing that that like I th everybody's like sharing, I guess it was from like the recent like Harry Potter um special, where it's like you know kids will say this i won't be here but hagrid will be and it's just like such a like it hits you um i'll, I'll say this as somebody who's not a harry potter fan um he's in, i mean like those movies are incredibly fortunate to have the casts that they did and especially coltrane who i really for me is one of the things that works about those early movies he brings the, such a heart to that character um mm -hmm. such a personality and just reading like you know the tributes that like like uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and Tom Felton. You really get that like was a lovable dude on screen and off screen. Um, so, and ha incredible career. Um, do we mention Black Adder at mm -hmm. all? No, because he was you know involved with that. Um, you know that I think that's the other um, noteworthy thing. But yeah, uh, may he may he rest in peace. You know. It sucks when, you know, two legends die. It's bad enough when one legend dies. It's worse when two die. And um, thankfully, we'll always have their work. We'll remember them for all the great uh, shows, movies, plays, musicals, whatever they were working on. Anything they've worked on, we'll always remember them for that. Um, so, and I guess that's, that is something, that is kind of a nice thought that, like, you know, you'll always have these people with you. And you know the work that they put out, and so it 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 breaks your heart. But you know, I I, I can tell you this: whenever I see him show up, I'm gonna be excited. Like whatever whatever it may be. Um, yep. Just like I remember the this this incredible 
uh, individual and their amazing work. So rest in peace to both Angela Lansbury and Robbie Coltrane. Um, and weird transition in this regard, but um, uh, how are you, <laughs> Joey? Not bad. Um, just been busy. Um, one exciting thing is I got to per- I I've purchased tickets for Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel. I bought tickets to Glass Onion because um, Netflix has decided to release this movie for a week um, in theaters. And uh, we're seeing it the, the, the day before Thanksgiving. Um, I, I'm very excited about this because Knives Out is one of my favorite movies, um, the first one. And I'm super stoked for this new one. And um, I, it'll be cool because it's only going to be playing in theaters for a week and then you have to wait a couple weeks until it's on Netflix. So you'll have a sneak peek. I'll have, a, I'll have a sneak peek. I'm also very curious, as again, I'm a numbers guy, very curious about the box office for this one, because the first Knives Out was very successful, for an original property, uh, was very successful movie. I'm very curious, I mean, it's, all, it's 600 screens, I think, 600-something screens. Um, I'm very curious how it's going to play out. Uh, but I'm. But more than that, I'm just so stoked to see this. I'm so ready for another Ryan Johnson, um, Benoit Blanc. So what you're telling me, sir, is that you are ready for another adventure with Sir Benoit Blanc. What I'm saying here is I'm ready to fill the donut hole with another donut hole. <laughs> oh, a donut. It a doesn't make any hole sense. Inside a donut it compels hole. me though. <laughs> <laughs> the, these are our foghorn leghorn impressions, actually. Boy, I say, <laughs> boy, like it's it's boy, <laughs> boy, I I I tell you, boy. Oh, brother. Um. <laughs> I, I'm I'm excited I'm excited uh, for that one. But anyway, um, in other news, I, I watched um, Halloween three for the first time ever recently. Must be the season of the witch. I had never seen it before, and I had it on disc, still wrapped on, on my shelf. The Screen Factory, uh, you know, 4K of that. Um, I really liked it. Um, really liked it. It was cool to see a Halloween movie that was had nothing to do with Michael Myers, except when there are Easter eggs, of course. Um, well, that was the original plan, from what I heard, remember, if I remember correctly, is that Halloween, they wanted it to be an anthology. So, like, the first one was about Michael, and then Season of the Witch was just going to be, like, obviously it's its own thing. But then, of course... Michael Myers became so popular, as we know. I, I really liked it. There's some gnar- gnarly imagery in there. Um, some interesting, um, interesting ideas. Uh, overall, really, really, uh, really liked that one. And I also watched the new, uh, the new Halloween. But I assume we'll talk about that once we get to your. How do you do? So, how do you do? <laughs> Are you asking me, <laughs> or you just want me to talk about Halloween? <laughs> no, I want. To, I, I want to know what is going. What is going on, and uh, why are we here right now? Because we were supposed to do this much later, but it's complicated. This was supposed to be much later. No, um, I did. I uh, I did have a plan today because I was supposed to. Um, you know, let me backtrack this a little bit. So when we were at Disney, I think it, I want to say it was Saturday. Maybe I think it was that first day. Um, I got a message from my friend Cameron that his one-year-old who was one today, I believe, uh, was having a birthday party. Now, he lives in Maryland now. He grew up here with me, but he 
uh, lives in Maryland, and he's got a beautiful wife, lovely kids. He's he's living a great life, and I'm so happy. I'm so proud for him and all that. Um, and you know, obviously, with the way the world is right now, I just don't feel comfortable with traveling. Plus, at the same time, you know, I just spent nearly a thousand dollars just to just to go to Disney. So he sent me a message and he asked me if I wanted to go uh, to his kid's birthday party. His, his kid's one year birthday party and uh, his kid Veronica and I and I just said um, I don't know if I can, but I can try to request the day off from work and I could call in or something and I'll, I'll buy a gift um, which is is customary for birthdays uh, if I remember correctly uh, <laughs> um, so I did that I bought um what was it it's I guess there's a show called Gabby's dollhouse like a like a like a Nick jr Disney jr one of those junior type shows that she's into and so a lot of the because they registered a lot of their gifts at Target and a lot of the gifts were related to that so I was like Okay, I should probably get one of these Gabby dollhouse gifts. So I got Gabby, and I got this thing called a mer-cat. It's like a mermaid cat. So, though that was more expensive than Gabby. So it's probably cooler, mm-hmm. is my thought. Or it should be cooler, because it's more expensive. Um, logically speaking, right. it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought those, and then I was like, alright, I'll call off Saturday and... I was like, what time is the, the, the birthday party? He said it's about 2 o'clock. I'm like, okay. So I was like, I'm going to make myself available to, uh, at 2 o'clock so that I can uh, have a conversation with him, uh, say hi to his kid, say hi to his wife and his mom if she's there, which I think she was supposed to be there, and just be like, oh, happy birthday. You know, I, I'm sorry my present's not there yet, but it's coming. Because um, I think it's, it's, supposed, it's estimated to show up on Wednesday. So, um, but, uh, two o'clock rolled around. They said they weren't ready. So I was like, okay, I'll wait a little bit. Um, and I was like, and so time had passed more and I was like, do you, do you want, do you want to do this another time or something? Like, like, is everything okay? And he's like, we'll call you when we're ready. And I'm like, okay, that was three, four hours ago at this point. (laughs) Um, and I already knew that I, that we were going to do this, the, the, uh, that we were going to record this episode today. So I'm a little bit bummed. I'm not, I'm a little annoyed admittedly, but you know, he's also probably, he's got a bunch of kids. He's, you know, he's dealing with guests at his house. So I'm, I'm sure I'll talk to him at some point. Um, and honestly, uh, happy birthday, Veronica one year. Um, I'm sorry it had to be this year, but you know, I'm glad you're here for one year let's let's go one let's go one more year let's go two more years let's go all the way to a full life let's go for a while yeah for sure <laughs> let's go let's go for a while no happy birthday in all seriousness happy birthday veronica and cameron i will call you probably if you i don't know if you listen to my show but i will call you <laughs> after i've recorded this whole episode to be like are we is everything okay i don't know um so yeah, that was supposed to happen today, but it didn't. Um, but the other thing, the other noteworthy thing, as you mentioned, is I also uh, uh, am a, a viewer of Halloween Ends because, um, like Halloween Kills, Halloween Ends was also available to stream on Peacock. 
So I got Peacock, which was like 10 bucks. So I was like, okay, that's not bad. Um, it's probably better than a movie ticket and concession, honestly. <laughs> but um, I did that, and I watched it. And, uh, I mean, you know. you know. Should, can we spoil it? Because I, I want to spoil the hell out of it, honestly. I want a spoiler alert, obviously, but I really want to spoil it. Because it's, it's, it's one of those movies that you don't, you think you know what it is. But you don't. Yeah. So, um, if you're if you still haven't seen this movie, um, you know I'll, I'll put a time code in the description of this when we start talking about our pro- our double feature proper. Um, but from but for the for next few minutes, we're gonna be spoiling the hell out of Halloween ends. So basically, this movie is about a kid named Corey. <laughs> it's it's okay. In truth, all right, like the whole David Gordon Green Halloween series seems to be about the reaction to tragedy, right? And, I mean, these days, there's a lot of stuff to work off of in regards to that, whether it's the pandemic, the protests, January 6th, all these things that have been going on in the world the last couple of years. So I'm pretty sure David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, and all those guys had a lot to pull from to sort of be like, okay, based on uh, uh, the, the actual evidence, how is it people would react to Michael Myers coming back in a modern times? And it feels like the kills and ends was sort of the response to that in a way. And so with kills, it's like chaos, like innocent people die and not just from Michael Myers um, on that note. (laughs) Um, Mob mentality uh, sets in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when ends kicks in, it's four years later and there's this kid named Corey. Um, Sounds a lot like Lori, doesn't it? But (laughs) this is a kid named Corey. And he's sort of a pariah in Haddonfield because he accidentally killed a kid he was babysitting because the kid was being a dick <laughs> and locked him in the, 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 the was it, I guess, an attic of some sort. But it's still a pretty messed up situation. Like that whole opening scene when he whacks, when he kicks the door and it whacks the kid and he flies off the railing. That was, that was I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. And then, of course, that was. A year, I think that scene takes place a year after Kills, but then the rest of the movie takes place like four years after after Michael Myers came back. So it's 2022, I think, at, at the, by the time we're in, uh, in Ends. And basically, Corey is town pariah, and he gets picked on by marching band kids. <laughs> it's not good for his self-esteem in any way. The only person that's kind to him is Laurie. Because she's like, do you want to do you want to slash his tires or do you want me to? <laughs> but aside from that, Lori, because I said this in my review, Lori went for, in, in 1978 went from being just a typical typical high schooler. Lori in 2018 was Batman. Yes, if Batman liked guns and was, yeah. N- now Lori is working on a memoir. Okay, and uh, she she set up a home. And these are my favorite things in the movie, honestly, where we get to see Laurie having, I hate the word normal, but a quote-unquote normal life. You know, like, she's at the grocery store! She's moving on. She's moving on! We can move past this! We can! She, she's talking about vegetables and how you need a little, you know what, you need a little roughage in your diet. And, and and then we see the sheriff from the first two movies. He's like, you know, you're right. I probably should. And you know what? I have bettered myself, though. I'm learning Japanese. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll fly to Japan and, uh, 
you know, taking the culture. And, and Laurie's like, that sounds nice. I like, like when she says, I like your face, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yes. See, see, this is, this is what we, we crave. We crave moments like this. This is what the, like, I read, I read these things, uh, Greb comics. It's these, these incredibly simple and incredibly wholesome things where it's just like, the baby duck is having a juice box. And that is nice. This is the Greb comics of uh, the Halloween franchise. This <laughs> it's just Laurie at the grocery store, <laughs> or at least those th th those scenes. And I'm like, I was not expecting like a romance to happen with this uh, <laughs> this manslaughterer and <laughs> and and Laurie's granddaughter, you know. And then like Laurie's granddaughter works as a nurse at, in a terrible work environment by the way yeah it's a, it's a listen her like her boss is piece of shit and her co-workers piece of shit and they're canoodling but i guess really i think your big takeaway and i was so i was laughing hysterically when i read your review like <laughs> michael myers gets a sidekick before modern live action batman does <laughs> listen we've had christian bale I'm not counting John Blake. Fuck that. Um, <laughs> Robin dies in the Snyderverse before Batman's even introduced. So he's fucked. He's dead. Yeah. And um, and then, I mean, Robert Pattinson just started. So, But again, he just started. So maybe Robin is coming. I'm hoping. But the only Robin we've had... Um, and I count this as I count this as part of the Batman legacy, but like we've had Michael Sarah in the Lego Batman movie, which we wouldn't have gotten had the Lego movie not existed. <laughs> right? Yeah. And had Warner Brothers not wanted to just put all of their own references to Warner Brothers in the movie. Right. So um, it's just it just irks me a little bit that for some reason the the filmmakers were like, you know, who needs a sidekick? Michael Myers. <laughs> Not only that, but like Corey, because like so the whole thing with Corey is that he basically becomes a, like his caretaker, like his in-house nurse, just to like help Michael. Because Michael at this point's got to be like in his seventies. Mm -hmm. You know, he's pushing it, man. And the fact that he was able to su su survive four years prior in doing all that shit. After, especially after getting shot, like basically resputined, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just insane to think that he's still hobbling around in a sewer in Haddonfield being watched over by a homeless man until Corey kills him. And then Corey's like, Corey turns into Dr. Strange and the first one goes, teach me. <laughs> Michael's the ancient one. See, I thought he was going to, like, just transfer. I was thinking about Energico from the Master of Disguise. <laughs> you, you must not stab with a closed hand. You must, not, you, you must not stab with an open hand. You must stab with a closed hand. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what is this? <laughs> Energico. But... It, uh, it's a very yeah. very strange um, series of events in this movie, and it's it was you know what I got to say, Richard. In all seriousness, all seriousness, it was really nice of Michael Myers to show up in Halloween Ends. <laughs> you know what? And for the best scene, besides the the lovey dove like cute stuff, like the fight is the, it was a great fight scene. It's brief. It was brutal. It was a great fight. Brutal scene. stuff. His funeral procession at the end. 
was uh was interesting <laughs> like we're just gonna parade this dead body around town and i like how there's one cop that's like we don't do it like this and but then like the sheriff comes and he's like fuck yeah we do <laughs> tonight we do <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it now do you not know what just happened yeah like there's michael Myers. Like, there's some things where people are like oh we gotta do it the honorable way do you know who this is do you know <laughs> Listen, th- there are some things where for the greater good, you have to, like, <laughs> the needs of the many outweigh the needs of your feelings. <laughs> Pretty much. This is going to be interesting when I re-listen to this, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> just just Michael Myers getting crushed by, um, uh, like, a wood chipper thing or whatever, like one of those car crushers in a junkyard. Right. Great. It needed to happen. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird movie, but I think the last two movies were weird, so I'm pretty mixed, but, you know, it's not the worst Halloween movie I've seen. Yeah, so we, we watched those movies, but aside from those, we got ourselves another really interesting, uh, pairing here. Um, Joey, how do you feel about hotels? Um, I'm hit or miss, hit or miss. How do you feel about, uh, hotels in the winter? I'd just rather stay home, I think. And you know what? That's maybe what this family should have done. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Joey, what is this first movie we are talking about today? Well, Richard, well, Richard, today, today, we are talking about Stanley Kubrick's uh, film adaptation. <laughs> heavy quotes on that one. Of Stephen King's <laughs> The Shining. Richard, I, I, I know, I know, I impress you every day. You don't need to say "wow" to me. Wow, 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 wow. Anyway, wow, wow, wow. I probably messed it up, so we could probably use it copyright wise. No, I, I don't care. I don't care. Have I ever like? <laughs> Anyway. Maybe a little bit you've cared. Maybe a little bit, but you usually, out of the two of us. <laughs> we'll see if that stays in. I don't know. We'll see. But no, yeah, that's gonna, probably going to stay The Shining. In. Yeah, The Shining. Um, this, I mean, uh, we've talked about a number of classic movies on here. As far as, like, horror goes, it, it doesn't get more, cl- it rarely doesn't get any more classic than this. This is like on everybody's top ten list. Like, I, like I have a feeling you ask anybody. Maybe not so much these days, but like you ask anybody. Like top ten favorite horror movies go. Ninety percent would say The Shining, at one point or another. You know what? I know people talk about this sometimes, where it's like, oh, the oldest movie a lot of people have seen is Star Wars. I feel like for horror, I feel like for a lot of people, the oldest movies would be like Night of the Living Dead, Halloween, and this. Like, it'd be like... Yeah, I agree with it'd that. It'd be like one of those... And that's not to diminish anybody's taste or anything anything like that. It's just, I feel like, if if I had to guess, your fav- if somebody says your favorite old horror movie is The Shining. Or, or, the Shining. or Halloween. Obviously. You know, and again, they're great... Mo- I mean, I love Halloween. The original Halloween's a great movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, I watch it all the time, on it, which is weird to say. But um, The Shining is one of those, like... It's even if you've never seen this movie, you know the imagery from this movie. Yes. It has been parodied to death. It has been imitated 
copied it, it, it got referenced wholeheartedly in a, a, a recent Spielberg movie. Yes, Ready Player One. Uh, that whole that whole sequence. Wow, a whole sequence dedicated to The Shining. The whole thing. Um, but again, with we asked any classic movie, especially when I, this is, it comes up when I when I bring something to you that's like a classic. Does it hold up? We're not going to answer that question yet. But <laughs> but to, to reiterate that feeling, at least on my end, um, I do respect film history, but I don't let it hold weight on any opinion I have. No. <laughs> no. Admittedly. You know. Um, anyway, so this, this we have the, the, the Torrance family. Gold Jack Torrance, Wendy Torrance, and Danny Torrance. Parents and their, their only child. Jack Torrance... Uh, gets a, a job to be a caretaker at the Overlook Hotel um, for a short period of time. But that short period of time happens to be uh, during uh, the winter, mm-hmm. essentially. And he's he's basically told, like, listen, just so you know, it can get pretty isolating. And we even had one incident where a guy that we hired may have killed his family. So just so you know... Uh, it, it could take a toll on you. So just, you know, just be aware of that. And Jack's like, it should be fine. So they go to the overlook and for the next two and a half hours, they slowly go crazy because Jack, uh, just has anger issues and is a recovering alcoholic, uh, question mark. Yeah. Um, and, uh, also, the hotel is haunted with ghosts of various sorts. Um, and then on top of all that, uh, Danny, a uh, little boy, has a gift. And it's essentially, he's like a mutant. He's an X-Men. <laughs> um, and uh, he has a gift called The Shining. And it's called that by uh, one of the workers at the Overlook, uh, Mr. Halloran, Dick Halloran, played by Scatman Carruthers. Yes. Um, who also shines, and that's where the term comes from. That's where the title of the movie and the book comes from, is this ability to shine. Mm-hmm. So, now, obviously, I was saying before the the Torrances moved to the Overlook, uh, Jack is uh, basically, uh, there's a bit of a backstory that we learned through the progression of the film that Jack is a, uh, like I said, he's a, re- he's a recovering alcoholic, and one night... Drunk, I imagine. Um, he dislocated Danny's shoulder when he tried to pull him up from the ground. And this has shifted the family dynamic quite a bit. So this is also adding tension because Wendy sees Jack sort of in a good light, but at the same time, like someone who could snap easily and harm their child. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of scared of him and kind of mad at him at the same time. Um Jack's just trying to write his book while taking this job as a caretaker so that he can continue his work. And Danny's just there. He's trying his best. He's got his big wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's going around the hotel, you know. But, yeah, there's as far as plot is concerned, it's a very simple plot. But there's a lot that happens in the movie. Yeah. Because, again, it's two and a half hours, so... It's. I think I described this to you. It's like this Sergio Leone horror movie, where, <laughs> and again, like again, I'm fine with like a like atmosphere 
and stuff and like things taking maybe a little longer than you're used to but this was like oh oh my gosh <laughs> and we talked about 2001 a space odyssey keep that in mind as well yeah and we're fans and we fell asleep the first time we watched that we together. did but you know what we uh, when we rewatched it though we had a good time we still had a good time with it yeah this was an interesting experience um because you know the imagery and you know obviously it's a beautifully shot movie like the the technical stuff on this is impressive yes i also some i was listening to somebody talk about this and it's like you know when, when a great filmmaker handles like b material it like elevates it i feel like this is kubrick's the birds where <laughs> hitchcock made a movie called the birds which is a movie about spoiler alert birds attacking people it's a it's a schlocky concept but Hitchcock is somebody who knows, and his team are people who know what they're doing, and they yes. make a really solid movie. And I feel like that's what this is. Um, like this is like, oh man, we're at a hotel. There's ghosts, and uh, we got a guy with an axe. There's a maze, but it's like really well made in that respect. The production design, like um, the overlook, the oh, design of the Overlook Hotel is incredible the costuming in this movie is great and is very i think emblematic of all of our all of our characters um in the movie uh the score uh by wendy carlos a returnee on two dudes one double feature Woo! who did the score for tron a multi uh grammy award winner uh iconic as richard was alluding to earlier that score is amazing mm. it still creeps me out when I hear it. Yes. Or I, 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 I should slightly get hyped because I'm like, oh, there it is. Yes. Wow, wow. Like, it's just a great piece of music. Mm hmm No, absolutely. Um, and the acting uh, in this movie is quite good, um, I think. Um, and there's a lot to be discussed with some, with some stuff like... Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, you have Jack Nicholson, who I think this is his first time returning to our show, I think... Since Batman, since we talked about Batman a hundred episodes ago, yeah, mind you, listen, it just worked out that way. It's just, it's just, it's just nice because, like, this is the movie that got him that job, really. Outside of the fact that he's Jack fucking Nicholson, yes, I you mean, know, like he was the he was the reason that people bought tickets to see Batman. Mostly, I'm sure, or that was like a, like, it's it's one of those instances you you get an actor with prestige to be in your movie and that's when people are like "Ooh, this person wanted to be in this i kind of want to see this i don't know if that is like such a thing now because like you could start off that way like oh this prestigious actor wants to be in my movie then like something comes out that the prestigious actor is a terrible person it's like nah never mind also i just think being a movie star uh, unless you're like a handful of people it doesn't matter as much no. anymore i think jack nicholson is one of those those people you could say was a movie star yes he was in movies and he opened movies and all that, all that kind of thing. Um, Jack Nicholson, he's already just unhinged before, before we get to the ax chopping and uh, all that stuff. Like it's, you can't help but look at him in the movie and be somewhat uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, Hmm. And the, 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 the sad part is that I've seen this kind of person before in my own life. And I'm not going to go further into detail, but just know I've, you know, my family has dealt with 
alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Okay. And so, like, I, 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 when I see the scene of Shelley Duvall, Jack Nicholson, and um, the little, the little boy, um, I think his name is Danny Lloyd, Daniel Lloyd. Dan- I think the actor. Yeah. Let me double check. Um, but when when you when I see them in the car, and uh, they're obviously uh, they're driving towards the overlook, um, and just the way Jack is presenting himself, which obviously for the character, but like the way Jack's presenting himself in the film, and like the 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 real lack of chemistry, which is important, obviously, because this is a broken family. Um, unfortunately, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. While I've never had uh, any physical altercations or physical abuse because of this alcoholism that was in my family, I can't say emotional uh, was on the table, I'll tell you that. But seeing that, like, feels weird to see because I, I, like, I never thought I would relate so much to something as I do, like, seeing Danny talk to his dad and, like, there's just no spark. There's just no light, you know, with those two characters. Like, you know, um, he he asks his dad a question, and his dad just gives him the most calculated answer. Like, there's no joy in it whatsoever. And poor Wendy's just sitting there, you know, just trying her best, you know, and... Even like towards the towards the latter half of the movie, when Jack is pissed at Wendy because all Wendy can do is try to take care of Danny, and and Jack's like, "Well, what about me?" You know, like it's it's shit like that that I've also seen, and I'm not particularly uh, excited about it. So there's a, still some unfortunate uh, relevance, admittedly, to a lot of that stuff. So. Yeah, that, those bits were oddly enough the harder to watch for me than like the naked like bathtub lady or like um, no, yeah. great party, isn't it? <laughs> no, because as we said, real life is it's pretty can be pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think that was one of the things that, if I'm not mistaken, Stephen King took issue with within the movie is mm-hmm. the way um, Jack Nicholson's character is because Jack Nicholson's already a guy. Who just looks like, okay, I got to be worried about him, you know? Yes. Um, whereas with with the miniseries, I've watched, have you watched the miniseries? No, I know Steven Weber plays Jack, though. Obviously, like, again, like, The Shining for Jack Nicholson is one of his most iconic roles. You know, you got One Flew Over the, Cuck- one flew over the Cuckoo's Nest, of course, the Joker in Batman, this. Um, but, like, that one, it's definitely different because he seemed, from what I remember, he seemed to be, like, more like, okay, there, there's a more pro- progression from where he starts to where he ends, you know? Yeah. Whereas, like, this, it's already, like, a pot that's, like, kind of simmering, and then it, like, you know... Explodes. Explodes. Um, well, I think that was the big, the big thing, too, as well, is just the way that the movie was presenting itself and... I think for King, he thought the movie was just too cold. Which is a, a criticism of a lot of Kubrick's movies, and I definitely felt that in this movie. Yeah. Like, there's just no... Because emo- obviously, you know... I mean, I've never read the book in its full entirety. Same. Um, but I, uh, from what I from what I understand from Stanley... Co- uh, not Stanley, from uh, Stephen King, is that um, there was definitely more of a warmth 
in in The Shining initially before Kubrick got involved, and then his film. I think Kubrick's even admitted that his movies are cold anyway. Yeah, which is like I remember him saying like because he was gonna direct the AI movie. Yep. Um, because that was his last movie, and then he passed away. Um, but there was points where he would talk to Spielberg, I guess, and say like, "I'm not the director to make this because it, there would be no personality in it. There would be no, there'd be no warmth in it. And this movie needs a director who has warmth. And so Steven Spielberg ended up making it, which makes sense because Steven Spielberg is the probably the best filmmaker to provide that like movie like cotton can like comfort food like entertainment you feel good you know you you like the care like that kind of thing yeah but yeah there's definitely like a cold especially in this movie especially because how long it goes on and location that you're at um is is pretty cold uh i want to talk about some of the other performances it was danny lloyd uh you were correct okay. and yes. apparently danny lloyd uh, from what i was reading did not know what kind of movie this was. They kept it from from him, so the way he performs it, it's just like maybe like a drama. I didn't know until much later that it was like a horror movie. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, which, because like, even from him, you're just like, oh my, like if I was a child, I'd be like, oh dear. Oh, oh dear. Red rum? I thought I was just, I was just told to say red rum, silly. Red rum. Right. Red Rob. Uh, Scatman Crothers um, is also in this movie. This is true. <laughs> but I, I, want to, I definitely want to bring this up because I was thinking about this. Um, he's fantastic, obviously. He's so good. Um, he's, he's definitely like the warmth of the uh, one of the warmer parts of the movie. It's also interesting, too, because um, he's a black guy and he's like a, the spiritual, like, like I don't want to say spiritual, but it's like the one connection to like the um the shining mm-hmm. you know that 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 he that the kid has and it made me think i was thinking about song of the south with uncle remus and it's like this is a story about a young boy's connection with uh an older black man and it's it was i'm not gonna say what I, it's not my place to like i might I, I might be like not my place to make that comparison but like Right. It was definitely something that came across in my mind watching this movie, mm. like thinking about it. And he's the one, is he the one guy that gets killed? Like he's the only guy that dies that really die. Like yeah, like, outside of Jack himself because at, he just freezes but, to death. Listen, but that's that's that should just ha- like listen. Yeah, no. that's just that's just inevitable. That just but like as far as like the whole thing, like he's the one. And I'm not saying like oh we got to kill other people to make it. No, it's just like that's the. It's definitely like noted. They, they 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 chose to kill the one, like central black character in the film. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he's ta- he's calling his one guy who has like who is able to get him like the snowmobile or whatever, the the snowcat or yeah the snow, snowcat and he's just like yeah these assholes are incompetent <laughs> assholes running the hotel. I'm like that was such he's a great a- scene. That was a great scene. I loved when when uh when we when we see him again after all the shits going down at the hotel and he's in his room and he just he has these huge framed pictures of these naked women on on his walls and I told Joey we were watching like I'm just I'm just imagining um 
like he got to pick his own decorations for the room and they're like well how would you decorate the room um mr carruthers and he's like a nice pair of tits it definitely colors um it definitely is gonna make my viewing of of the aristocats whenever i get to the scene uh everybody wants to be a cat because he's in the movie i'll be like oh gosh <laughs> like how do you want your trailer decorated how do you want the the sound booth decorated mr Brothers? a nice <laughs> pair of tits oh no because I, I just picture him in that like nice warming invi- inviting calming like dick hollering voice that he does like it's just his normal yep. voice but like that voice but it's just again <laughs> moving on from uh scatman crothers um i also want to mention may he rest he passed away not that long ago joe turkle um is in this movie um he's the bartender here and lloyd lloyd yes hey lloyd he, and he's perfect for these kubrick movies because he just has this like the tone of voice uh, the way he carries himself. He was also in another one of my favorite um, Kubrick movies, um, Paths of Glory. And, of course, he was in the original Blade Runner as Tyrell. He is the he is the main... I love his huge glasses in that movie. Yes. Um, They're fantastic. I love I love when he says... When, when like, Harrison Ford's just like, isn't she human? This test is pointless. like, indulge me. <laughs> indulge me. Um... No, but he's great. Um, may he rest in peace as well. Um, I don't know if we've ever got did a tribute. Like he didn't pass away that long ago either, and he was still he was going to conventions. I think too for oh wow a number of years. Um, you know, but and that's also one of the most famous images in this movie too. Just Jack at the bar. You got Lloyd. Jack at the bar. He's got his whole like monologue about hurting his kid. Like I did hurt him once. Okay. <laughs> um, which I think as far as like the cast goes, I think that's really the main people I wanted to, to, to touch upon. Uh, but ultimately we got to talk about Shelly Duvall because um, of what happened on this movie. You know, you know how in the last uh, conversation we had, we were talking about um, uh, Abbott and Costello. And I was talking about how I'm just, I'm just happy to hear a nice story that people were comfortable on set. <laughs> That's not this story. <laughs> that's not this story at all. And that's... Yeah. And the fact that we knew about this for so long, and yet, like, I feel like only a handful of people seem to, like, color their opinions. Now, I'm not saying, like, it has to, like, change your opinion on the movie, but I feel like it's worth noting when you're thinking about The Shining. Right. Especially given, like, the aftermath of it all, because you gotta remember, too, Shelley Duvall to my knowledge is the only cast member uh, amongst the group that was nominated for a Razzie for one. Yeah. You know, and if you know anything about the Razzies, you know, that's insulting. Um, but then on top of all that, you know, Kubrick, in order for her to get a performance that he wanted, apparently like um, Kubrick essentially treated Shelley Duvall like absolute dog shit. And, like, screamed at her and yelled at her just to make her cry so that she... Like, anytime I see Shelley Duvall, like, in a sobbing mess because of this, which, to make matters worse, she's being yelled at by Jack Nicholson because that's what the scene is dictating. Um, But just to make it worse, like, just picturing Stanley Kubrick, like, before saying action was, like, saying 
probably the worst bullshit he can spew out of his mouth to Shelley Duvall. And no one deserves that. No. No one deserves like I I still will always remember in a in an interview uh that Malcolm McDowell was giving about uh his experience working with Stanley Kubrick when he did Clockwork Orange and he's like, Oh, Kubrick's a genius, but he's also just not a human being because he's a monster. Yeah. Like he's a genuinely terrible monster of a person. Like like he, there's no humanity to to, to Kubrick whatsoever. Mm. And that that is something that seems to continue. It's like all the stuff that's coming out about Bill Murray. Like we kind of heard inklings that Bill Murray was a jackass, but like now we're just seeing all these stories come to the surface. Like Seth Green and Gina Davis and all these people are saying that you know Bill Murray was a dickhead. Yeah. And so to hear like, you know, Shelley Duvall having this experience, like I to me it colors the movie differently now. And it makes it harder to watch in the sense that knowing contextually that she's sobbing because her boss is treating her like garbage. Like fuck that. Yeah, it's um it's one of those things where it's just like ugh. It, it does, you know, it it does make it hard hard to watch. But also, I just think, too, this movie is just a hard watch in general. Um, I felt so relieved that we both gave this movie the same score. Because <laughs> I thought... You you were so happy. I thought I was going to be the one guy on this, because this is, a, this is a beloved horror movie. I thought I was going to be the one guy that says, well... <laughs> uh, I thought people were just going to be angry. With, but they're going to be angry... Not angry, but like they'll be like, what? With both of us. And I just, I just assumed... Never assume, folks, because it makes, you know what they say, it makes an ass out of you and me. But um, I just assumed that you were going to be like four and a half stars, masterpiece, though Shelley Duvall stuff is hard to sit through. But masterpiece, nonetheless. No. Uh, no. That. No. But, but it also, like, again, even in genres that I love, like, I, 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 will, I will always respect what came before and how we got to where we are when it comes to movies. There's no question about that. At the same time, I try not to let that hold a candle to how I feel about it. Like, yeah, some some effects are dated, but I'm not going to, you know, make an excuse for that, but if I think it's boring or if I think someone's performance isn't that great or if I think it just isn't that entertaining to me, that's just it. Yeah. And and you know, in the case of The Shining, it's a long fucking movie. <laughs> it's 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 a long it's like imagine you have like a nice fruit roll up like you're a little you're a little five-year-old you have a nice fruit roll up or what is that what that is? no that's fruit by the foot fruit by fruit the roll foot. up i was right or, no so like you got the little sheet of like cherry leather <laughs> with little shapes in it now imagine that's perfect the way it is now imagine you stretch it and stretch it some more you don't need to you're just doing it. <laughs> it doesn't need to be that long. And it starts tearing. Why? I don't know. And now you have this super long <laughs> fruit roll up. There's no reason for it to be that long. It was perfectly fine the way it was. You could have just eaten it that way. But no. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying the movie needed to be like an hour and a half long. But no, actually, I am saying that. <laughs> At, at best, like an hour fifty. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things because you don't want to sound like the guys from Amadeus who say like too many notes, but sometimes 
that's that's that that's how you feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it makes it harder when you can't like attach with a character. Like another, I'm gonna bring go back to Sergio Leone real quick. Um, good, the bad, and the ugly. Even the character is reprehensible as Tuco. He's a piece of he's a piece of he's a character, <laughs> but you're able to connect with that character. You're entertained by him throughout, and you're like, what is he? What is this guy getting himself into? Like, it's like Matt Smith on uh, House of the Dragon. Yes, like he's <laughs> a piece of shit, but like I'm loving everything he's doing. What what crime? What crimes is he, is he going to commit in his crime hoodie? What is he going to do? What's he going to do? <laughs> What's going on? You know what? I'm curious. Like, show me. <laughs> now, and there's supposed to be a sense of dread in this movie, which I respect, obviously. But like, yeah, it it, it gets to a point where I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like, I understand you want people to sort of understand and feel the isolation aspect of it when they're watching the movie. They just want you just want to feel like what the characters are feeling. But I don't think anyone really wants to feel that in the movie. No, and I can also like because if I'm not mistaken, to like this is one of Kubrick's like. Not Kubrick. Um, like The Shining was one of Stephen King's like stories relating, in some ways, to, like his own like substance abuse, you know. And I like ultimately like, like some of that's there, but I don't think it like really translates very well as like, oh, this is like such a tragic like thing. It's it's no it 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 feels like someone in the midst of his alcoholism. Like I could guarantee Jack Nicholson's care, like Jack Torrance. Pardon me. Um is literally like a week sober at this point like not even a month not even not even like a year i'm pretty like the way he he holds himself is very much like he's very much in the midst of withdrawal yeah you know he hasn't had a drink he's angry all the time and he was already angry to begin with but now he's more angry like he's just a shitty dad yeah you know and like obviously he's had a lot he's he deals with a lot but at the same time like i think if you want if you want us to have some sort of remorse for an alcoholic character like that because i think that i think that's 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 something worth noting like you want to have as as it kind of happens in our second movie um uh you want to have some level of remorse for someone because they're trying to get better and yeah they'll relapse and they'll make terrible decisions but you want them to get better right you want them to make good choices and to maybe if they do need to latch onto something, latch onto something healthier, more positive, something that helps you, other people around you. This is very much like we're meeting Jack in the midst of it. This is this is Corey from Halloween Ends. A lot of shit happening to him, but choosing to go dark regardless. Mm-hmm. When he takes a drink of that of that whiskey at the bar with Lloyd. Right. He's he's choosing to fall. He's choosing to relapse, fall into his own demons, and you know, screw everything else. It's him versus Wendy. It's him versus Danny. It's him versus like the only thing that the only the only thing he feels like is on his side is this possessed hotel. And I I have I can't feel any sympathy for that. The only but I do feel sympathy towards Wendy and I, and for Danny, which is good, obviously. Yeah, it it but it, even then, like sometimes it's it's hard for me to like, it's you know it's it's a it's a weird one. But again, there's undeniably a lot of great things about this. That's why it's it's highly regarded today. And 
Like, it's one of those movies where initially, critically, as we noted, it was not received very well. Mm -mm. It received Razzie nominations, and it's one of those movies that has been re... It's one of those classic examples of something that's been... That was re-examined, you know, and people went, oh, this is actually... This is actually a good, a well-made movie. Oops. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know. And then, and then, oddly enough, as time went further down the le- down down the timeline, you know, people were like, is this good? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. There's parts of it. I think, ultimately, it, it definitely falls in the category of something I have more, as far as, like, the technical craft and the, like, the iconography and stuff, I have more respect for it than I do love. Like, there are Kubrick movies I can point to and be like, I love Dr. Strangelove. I love Paths of Glory. I love 2001 A Space Odyssey. The Shining's got some cool shots, and Wendy Carlos's <laughs> music fucking slaps. <laughs> and, you know, here's Johnny. I got the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Got the Joker. Um, you know, again, and if you love this movie, I under- listen, I get it. I love movies it's, that have had weird it, production it histories. We- and understandable. And, you know, it's just for us... You know, our, everybody's experience is different. Just for us, it wasn't, it didn't fully click with us. Um, but I think that's what makes this, this is going to make this an interesting episode because our second movie, our second movie has a lot of challenges it had to live up to and go against. And um, I think both of us agree it most, our second feature mostly succeeds. Yeah. At these things, shockingly enough. Uh, stay tuned for our second half of our double feature. Wow, 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 wow. And we are back! Crackle, crackle. (laughs) (laughs) We are back! Crackle, crackle. I'm Um, so sorry. (laughs) It was just funny. No, it's fine. Uh, (laughs) Um, Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. In our last segment, we were talking about Stanley Kubrick's, it should be noted, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, now we're, uh, I'm actually very excited about this, um, because we're uh, finally bringing onto the show one of my favorite filmmakers working right now, uh, and he made a kind of legacy sequel to The Shining uh, in 2019, Joey. Who is this man, and what is this movie he made? Well, this man, this man, okay, 
Um, this man is Mike Flanagan. The film. Listen, Richard, do, do, do we need some, uh, I, th- I think I need some medicine, but I think the only doctor that can prescribe me anything is Dr. Sleep. <gasps> no, I got, I got something for you. Hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> do you need, oh, wait, no, never mind. I don't got anything. Uh, I'm, I'm good. Dr. Sleep. Um, I'm good right now. Thank you. <laughs> I have some Advil uh, myself. You sure? You don't need me. <laughs> Crackle, crackle. <laughs> I, I hope that stays in. <laughs> just... It'll stand. It'll stand. Um, yes. Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep, which is a film I feel like you've been advocating to be on the show for a long time, but also is a movie I have wanted to see for quite some time, but didn't watch it because I wanted to save my viewing for this show. Yes. Oh my god. I listen. I need to start way at the beginning because I remember in the beginning. <laughs> yes. In the beginning, the world was young and before the Flanniverse. <laughs> and there was Sarah and Ducky. <laughs> Sorry, this is a completely different movie. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I remember when the movie Oculus was coming out, and I had worked at a video store at the time, and so I was like, you know what, I'll give this, like, it gave me, like, working there gave me an opportunity when new movies came in to check out stuff that I hadn't seen before, or I, I just just too busy and I wasn't going to the theater to see them, so, and I'd heard some good things about Oculus, so I was like, I'm going to check it out, and it was made by this guy named Mike Flanagan, who I didn't know who that was, Um and that was a very like i was i was really surprised by it mm-hmm. like it's it's so it's got such an interesting concept and it's well crafted um it's about this like mirror that's haunting people which is kind of a weird concept but it's just really well put together and as someone who i think I'm a fairly okay editor in the, when it comes to videos but Mike Flanagan is also an editor. So I felt like I had some kinship when I was watching it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, this is pretty cool. And so I, I kept that name in my head with all these kind of current horror directors that I like, like James Wan or um, Michael Doherty, or even, like, I was excited to see uh, Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook, is going to be on that um, Guillermo del Toro show on Netflix. Nice. So I'm excited to see her uh, make something new. Um, well, make a make a new horror thing. She had something that came out called Nightingale, which was very well put together, but it was a really hard movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, I I kept that name Mike Flanagan in my head, and I wanted to see like what other what other movies he had coming out. And then he started working with Netflix, and so he started. He made I think two movies on Netflix, and he's made at this point four separate uh, television shows. And to be honest, pretty much everything that he's done, I near I pretty much love. Like I like he's he's one of these guys that when he approaches horror, he approaches it from a point of okay. Not only do I want to make people like my characters, I want them to fall in love with my characters. 
So when they're watching this and bad shit happens to them, their heart fucking breaks. And like, like I was talking to Joey the other day because he has a new show on, on Netflix called The Midnight Club. And I kept messaging Joey, like, there's some creepy shit in this in the show, but I'm crying way more than I think I should. <laughs> Which, admittedly, the premise is like a bunch of terminally ill kids in the 90s in a, in a mansion that works as a hospice. So, of course, I'm going to fucking cry, but <laughs> if it's done well enough. But, uh, yeah, like, like he, he puts so much effort into his stuff, and he wears his heart in his sleeve. Like, like he doesn't, he does he's not trying to hide behind like heavy metaphors or anything. He's not that he's like putting everything on display, but like, he's not shaming himself. He's not ashamed or hiding away how he wants things to feel. The themes are very much present. Um, yes. In this, uh, especially again, I've only seen Dr. Sleep, so I can only talk about, um, Dr. Sleep, but this is like, this is all right. Mike Flanagan introduction is a great introduction. Um, yes. You know, I'm sure that would make him blush. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Listen, I, I'm tempted to tag him in this because I really want... Because, like, he's actually, like, he, like, looks at shit like this. Oh, so, man. I'm like... I'm like, listen, Mike Flanagan, if you end up listening to this episode, I love you so much. I've watched everything. <laughs> um, I, I am uh, I am so excited for Fall of House of Usher, which uh, our good friend of the show Chris Olivier worked on, and you and he said you were like one of the nicest people he's ever met, and you said hi to him because like people would say don't bother Mike, and then he would come out of your 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 trailer. This is what Chris told me. Uh, he would come <laughs> out of your trailer, and and you would look at Chris and say like did you did you have something to eat? And he would say like go get something to eat or something like how you doing? He would say hi to Chris. Man, <laughs> it's nice to hear nice things. Yes, it's nice to hear when nice things happen on sets. Again, I gotta, em- I gotta emphasize this. Greb Comics, the baby duck. <laughs> no, the baby frog loves soup. <laughs> but no, Mike Flanagan is the best. And so when when we were, uh, when I was trying to figure out. Because I wanted to get him on the show, and so I talked to Joey. I was like, okay, so I'm going to give you a list of his movies, and I want you to tell me which one you're most interested in. And he mentioned Dr. Sleep, and that's sort of where this episode came from. And also just an excuse for me to show Joey a Mike Flanagan movie, and a good one at that. Yes. All right, yeah. So, again, there's a lot to be talked about with this movie. Um, It is is, uh, obviously based on a, a Stephen King book, which... A relative had bought for me, <laughs> and I didn't even, like, <laughs> I'm like, because I, I, I don't really read Stephen King. I have nothing against him. I just, you know, I just don't. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, I remember getting the book Dr. Sleep. I'm like, Dr. Sleep? What? What is this? <laughs> and then um, I remember hearing the movie come out. I'm like, oh, they're making a movie about that. But I had no idea it was going to be, like, a Shining thing. So I remember seeing, like, some of the Shining imagery in the show. I'm like, what? Who? It's like, it's like wait a minute, huh? And it, and then I was hearing about like other things about details, like there's recreations of stuff or like flashbacks to stuff from like that timeline, but they don't de-age the actors or anything. You know, they don't have, there's not like a de-age digital Jack Nicholson floating no. around in this movie, no. you know? Um, and I remember when we were talking about stuff for this show, you know, that was something I'm like, yeah, one of the, my favorite things to do is show you things, but also watch things that you bring on the table for this. And, uh, Dr. Sleep definitely ranks very high as, as far as things you've brought to the show. So thank you for that. Um, I, try. I know 
I know, Richard. <laughs> I try my best. I know I, I know. gave you the past, but this is making up for it. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Getting there. As you said to me on the Disney trip, the tab, uh, the tab's still there, you know. <laughs> um, oh, that throwback. <laughs> yeah, inside, hashtag inside joke. Um, no, this, is, this movie has to do a lot of things. Because obviously, Stephen King's thoughts on the, Sh- on the Shining movie are very well documented. Oh, yeah. uh, he's not backed down from that, which I respect, but also they're very well known. And, you know, The Shining also at the same time is a very beloved movie. <laughs> the most beloved movie with, with an alcoholic wielding an axe trying to kill his family <laughs> out there. It's like, sure. the, it's a wonderful it's life there. of axe movies. All right. <laughs> um, I'm making fun of the, the terrible things that happen. But anyway, um, there's that there's that component because people love the movie but there are also people who are more king purists and king himself and also you got mike flanagan in the middle this is not a like a great thing like you have to you have to try to do so many things well also you gotta make a good movie out of this ultimately yeah like he's 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 juggling so much like he because like he himself is is a fan of the original movie while also he himself being a fan of stephen king so he's juggling so many things and and you also got to remember too like like by this point he's he's sort of garnered a name for himself but not enough to make you think oh this is the perfect dude to make a sequel to this like beloved Warner Brothers movie like you know he cuz by this point he'd done uh successful uh, as far as uh, I think critics are concerned, I don't know as far as box office in some of these movies, but like Oculus was pretty well received. Um, he did the prequel to Ouija, uh, Origin Ouija, which is uh, my second favorite board game movie ba- uh, behind Clue, because mm-hmm. it's just hard to beat Clue because Clue's great. Yep. Um, yep. But um, and he had done a couple of uh, Netflix films, but. And, and one of them being based on Stephen King. So he has a kinship with Stephen King because he did a, an adaptation of, uh, I, I want to say it was a short that Stephen King wrote called Gerald's Game, or it was a full book. I don't remember. Okay. okay. Um, also a very gnarly movie on that note. Um, but yeah, so like he garnered somewhat of a name for himself, but I, I don't imagine by this point, even now I'd argue, there's unless you're like a horror fan or a Netflix person, you probably still don't know who Mike Flanagan is. Maybe, arguably. I certainly did. Like, I think he's certainly bigger. Than, I mean, we think about, like, I see people talk about Midnight Midnight Mass that came out not mm, that so long good. ago. And so the, the haunting um, of Hill, Hill House and Blind Manor. You know, um, they, so people might not know the name, but they know they know what he's done. Like, yes, and that's really, sure. that's really important, too. Um, but this is also... We're in a trend here, folks. Legacy. This is a legacy sequel. Okay, so this is set years after The Shining. Um, Danny Torrance is like that Rugrats spinoff, all grown up, and uh, <laughs> played by Ewan McGregor. Um, Ewan McGregor is just the guy to play um, grown up versions of kids. I mean, Christopher Robin. Yeah, Christopher Robin. Um, I mean, he's he's. The only the only reverse one is Obi Wan Kenobi, but even then he played an older version of himself. So there you go. <laughs> he, he does, you know. Um, and basic like this, uh, Danny um, is going through a lot. He's been going through a lot. 
Yeah. And we get to, we get to see more of a window. The, Danny's the main character here, and we really get to see more of a window to him, and also just the trauma, but also the drugs, uh, the alcohol, you know, alcoholism. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you talk about movies that ha- like have their emotions on their sleeve. This is a movie that I feel like is more about those themes and stuff than the shining than the shining even was because the shining it was definitely there but i don't know if it had anything really to say or like the message was at least maybe muddled this one it's like it's pretty clear what it is um but it's it doesn't feel like hackneyed or anything like that it's like it's very i feel like a very i don't say real that sounds silly but like i feel like I, i it's a believable portrayal of of what happens to you know to to you know what happened i'm sorry i'm no no i get i yeah i'm also again this is also i'm the worst person to talk about this because i've not (laughs) experienced any of this stuff this is just yeah i'll say this much at least from from my from my perspective on that like um to a certain to a certain degree like because i don't drink Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is because of life experiences not from drinking but from being closely near someone that did and someone that did also like abuse substances of, of other sorts, not like hard or like things that you buy from like a back alley or anything, but um, still something that if taken too much of can be harmful. Um, and so just seeing that up close and personal, like really turns me off on ever wanting to like th- like I am I genuinely never want to lose any amount of control for myself. Mm-hmm. And so like I understand like for a lot of people drinking's a coping mechanism, drinking uh dulls the pain. It's a depressant. Um and for some people like it's a recreational thing, you know, obviously they talk about how drinking is meant uh to to better social interactions and I get that. Yeah. Um but at the same time, like too much of it could lead to bad things. So many, so many people of all ages have died in car accidents from drinking. And it's a generational thing too. Like, like, cause in so many respects, like, like I see stuff that I do in my own life that I can, I can attribute to a certain degree to, to being somewhat addicted to it. Maybe to a much lesser extent because it's at least to my knowledge it's not harming me. Like right. you know, like I'm a collector. I obsess over like comic books and like pop culture stuff. But at the same time, like when it comes to like anything you know that could potentially put me in a really bad situation, I know myself, so I choose not to do any of that. And it's always because like you know when people like whenever I would go out, people would be like, uh, "What do you what are you having to drink?" And I'm like, "I'll just have a coke." And then of course there's that one person that's like, "Oh, you're not going to drink," because like I'm not cool, you know, like you're not going to drink. Like no. And then the last thing I want to have to go through is a whole spiel explaining why I choose not to. Right. And that's happened on so many occasions. And sometimes I would just be so tired of it, I'd just be like, I just don't want to. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I've had a drink before. I've had wine and beer but like at the same time i i i think i just i it's easier too because i just don't like the taste yeah so in in many respects like i i can definitely like there's a like i see danny in this movie and there's a fear that if i were to imbibe 
that I could fall into this trap. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to be in that point in my life. And I'm so happy that after all this time, I have not, I have a lot more self-control and I, I am very appreciative of my brain for allowing me to have that at least. <laughs> Absolutely. So like, I almost see like, like it's, it's scary. It's scary in a potential sense when I see Danny in those, in the opening bits of the movie, especially because, you know, he, uh, he leaves someone for dead at the yeah. opening of the movie, which when that scene happened, I was so afraid because I thought you were going to hate the movie because Danny left like the mom there to die. Yeah. That's a, that's a big, like, and the it, kid died. Yeah. That's a big, like a huge, the kids dying always gets, you know, gets me, um, yeah. in things, but like, I, but again, too, I guess it depends how it's done. Um, and it, I think I thought it, you know, it worked out for the movie, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, I could see some people are like, okay, I can't, but also did, too, like how did, how did you feel though? When that scene happened, if you don't mind, I was asking. like, Oh God, you know, it was definitely a gut punch. Um, yeah. Though it's also, it's, I don't think it was the hardest thing in the movie to watch. If I'm being honest, we'll get to that. Yeah. It, it, it's it's also the case too where it's like the last time people met this character was when he was a child, right? Mm. And they're like, oh, he wouldn't. Why would he do that? And it's like <laughs> it's, it's like Luke Skywalker all over again. Kid, the kid barely said like ten words in the other movie. Like, how do you know? Like, like, like his whole his whole experience is his fucking dad tried to kill him. Yeah. How do you think he's supposed to react to that shit? He's supposed to be fine? No! Ugh. Especially when you learn, too, like, um, Wendy died when he was, like, what, 20? Mm-hmm. And, like, that, that's one of the hardest things to think about was, was you know, when he, because when he talks about how he was able to sense when, like, people were close to dying and, mm -hmm. like, seeing, that was it the black, the flies or, like, the, the black flies or whatever surrounding their face yeah. and he couldn't look at his mom and I'm like, that was, that's hard to, like, think about. Um, yeah. You know, speaking somebody who thinks about the death of their parents, the death of my, my father yeah, a lot. Yeah, 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 And inevitably, yeah. my, you know, my, my mother, you know, when that time comes. Um, but the other, like, hard, this is the other thing that happens, too, with this movie. So, like, he's been, he hasn't done much with the, sh the shine in a very long time. It, it also makes me think of Luke Skywalker in Last Jedi, where he hasn't, he hasn't touched the Force in a while. Or even you know? Obi-Wan Kenobi in the show. Oh. Oh. Uh, you know, all the, pa the parallels, um, as George Lucas said, it's like it's poetry. It rhymes, even across it, it's, media it's... companies. Oh. Chef's kiss. But at the same time, that's going on, okay? And he's trying to, he has this road to recovery. You know, he's got, he's got, a, he's got a guy who helps him Billy. out. Billy. Billy, who's Billy. fantastic. Uh, that was hard uh, um, when when we get to that. Yeah, but yeah. there's a group of of uh, of people. Okay, I hate them. But there's a group of people <laughs> who, led by led by um, Rebecca Ferguson. Oh my god, who is incredible in this movie? Great hat. She's Rose the Hat is her Rose, character. Rose the Hat. And um, that's her, her Irish accent. Come, uh, like an Irish accent comes out a little bit when she says her name. Rose the Hat. Hi there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she leads this group of, of people who uh, they sort of, like, what do they take? They basically take the shine out of Yeah, you. so so basically, um, like, the whole, the whole, like, thing of the, of the movie is that 
you have Rose the Hat, played by um, two dudes Hall of Famer, Rebecca Ferguson, as should be noted. There's a lot, honestly, a lot of people in this movie. Like, I'd say Ewan McGregor is arguably a Hall of Famer. I'd also like to pitch um, uh, Zan um, uh, McLaren. Yeah. In this, he's in this movie, and he's also in the best episode of Westworld. Yes, Crow Daddy in this film, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. He's so good. Uh, so, Rose the Hat has a, a group of friends, a group of friends, a gr- uh, like a kind of traveling caravan, like, people that um, essentially try to hunt down children who uh, shine. And they're basically, like, shine vampires, so they, I mean, they all have their own abilities as well. Like Rose the Hat can like enter people's minds, manipulate people, and do all types of crazy shit. Crow Daddy, I think, can uh, masquerade as other people. Maybe. Um, we meet uh, one, we we meet another character who sort of like introduces us to the group, Snake by Andy. Um, who's uh, what's the I forget the actor's name, Emily Lind, I think. Em. I know she's because I know like like her sisters have been in other things. That Emily uh, Allen Lind, yes, um, she she plays Snake by Andy, who's like a fifteen year old. That's uh, she uses uh, the fact that you know uh, pedophiles prey on her in chat rooms. So then she meets up with them and then like uh, hypnotizes them and then uh, carves a little snake bite under their cheeks and says. You know, you you might be able to explain away a missing wallet, but you won't be able to explain away, like, this on your face. And uh, every time you see it in the mirror, you're going to scream, I'm a pedophile, or I'm a, I'm a child lover, or whatever. Mm. And so she joins, uh, I think they're called the True Knot, is the group. Okay. So um, she joins the True Knot, and... Uh, Basically, like, you know, they they hunt down children and they steal their shine. And uh, we get an example of this in probably one of the most brutal scenes in the whole movie. This was the other one. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, uh, Jacob Tremblay uh, was, uh, you know, a very well-known child actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff lately. You know, he was, I think he got his big break with that, what's that, Room with Brie Larson? Kenny, he was Oscar nominated for that. And he was also Augie in Wonder. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's the voice of Robin in uh, uh, the Harley Quinn show. Um, I always got to bring up a Batman thing because Mike Flanagan's worked with a lot of actors who voice Batman as well on that note. Um, but uh, yeah, he has a Drew Barrymore scene. And when I say that, I'm referencing Scream because you know Drew Barrymore being one of the most prominent actors, especially of the 90s, uh, is in the opening scene of a, of a horror movie. And people are like, oh, she's the main character great she dies yep <laughs> like the whole opening scene so jacob trembley shows up who's worked with mike flanagan before in a movie i believe called before i wake and uh he's he's a baseball kid and uh the the true not kidnap him and uh hurt him let's just say kill him <sighs> and and the re and so basically how the whole process works without like talking about the nitty-gritty of it because it is again a hard scene to watch um they try to inflict as much pain on their victim as possible because the shine when it comes out of them is at its purest and so basically rose the hats like stabbing him slowly and 
smoke comes out of his mouth and all of the true not guys are like sucking up all the steam and then they put uh, the rest of it in a jar after they're done and they go on their merry way it's rough it's hard it's really hard yeah yeah that was that was definitely tough for sure yeah i when that scene came up i was like oh god joey i don't know are you i don't know if you're right for this scene i i I told joey like there's a drew barrymore moment and he and then when jacob trembley shows up i wonder if maybe you know that you're like oh okay Mm. (laughs) and so yeah now how danny gets involved with the true knot is not even directly his own fault it's because there's a third character whose name is abra um she's when we initially meet her she's this little girl um who has a really strong gift with her shine like she is incredible like as far as people that shine, she can do some really genuinely great shit. She has a poltergeist moment in the film uh, after a birthday party, which I love that scene when the parents are coming back in and there's just like forks all over the floor and the dad's like, what the hell? And the mom's just looking up like, uh, <laughs> spoons. <laughs> there's just spoons like all connected to the ceiling. And then the daughter comes in. She's like, look what I did. And she's like all proud of it. And the parents are like, uh, and then they fall back down. You're like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was a good scene. But yeah, Abra, uh, when, when she becomes more prominent, uh, member of the story, it's when she, uh, becomes, I, I guess like a 13, I want to say like, like maybe like preteen teenager somewhere around there. And, um, she starts to become pen pals with Danny. And uh, through their shine, they're able to have a connection, especially after so much time has passed and he's he's worked on his shine because he, the reason he's called Dr. Sleep, I don't know if we kind of glossed over this part, but the reason he's called Dr. Sleep is because he when he gets a job um, at, in the town that he moves to, uh, he gets a job working at a hospice. And... Uh, one of the first nights he's working because he's like a night janitor, basically. Um, there's this cat, and the cat. This is this scene makes me cry, honestly. This first scene, but um, there's this cat that goes around the hospice, and periodically it goes into some of the patients' rooms. And typically, it seems that cat seems to know uh, when that person's gonna die because when that cat shows up and that person sees the cat there that's a pretty good indication that that's their last night at the hospice. And so in that first night, um, the, the pay, uh, he goes in to, to get the cat and the patient's sort of freaking out. So Danny's like, do you want me to, do you want me to get you anything? And he's like, no, I just want you to stay. And Danny uses his shine, not to like manipulate him or anything, but to help calm him, to help him, you know, have a peaceful passing. And so, he do, he's he basically starts doing this late night says he works late night at the hospice center he starts doing this for all the other patients and he gets the nickname doctor sleep the second one really got me when when he uh was a charlie and they sing um uh come fly with come me come fly with me yeah no that get oh man that one yeah that one's that one's that one gets you um but what's cool is that cuz like obviously danny was called doc as a kid 
and that transitioned into his adult life being called Doc again. So it's almost like it's like a superhero persona, almost, you know. This is like an X Men movie. <laughs> it is like an X Men movie. But yeah, he and Abra become pen pals. And Abra starts getting these like psychic connections, I guess you could say, with everything that the True Knot is doing. Now, here's the thing Rose the Hat is Captain Ahab. And when she notices Abra, she's found Moby Dick. She's found mm-hmm. her white whale, and she wants it. But she also doesn't know just how powerful Abra is. Um, but she's not, she doesn't care. She is going to take down Abra at any chance she could get. And so that's sort of where the big conflict of the movie takes place. Yeah. I also want to mention, too, um, Abra is played by uh, was it Kylie Curran. Mm-hmm. And she's great um, in the movie. Um, liked her dynamic with um, with Ewan McGregor. Um, but yeah, it was also like, I'm, I'm sure there were people, like fans, who were like, no, Danny's supposed to be the best one. Danny's <laughs> supposed to be... He's supposed to be the best. What are you doing? Says who? Says who? <laughs> Did you know Danny Torrance is not a real person? Uh <laughs> <laughs> According to the power levels from the first Shining, uh, that means he is next in line to be the most powerful uh, protagonist. Listen, listen um, when Dick Holleran first mentioned when Dick Holleran first mentioned uh, met Danny, he said that no one shined like him. So clearly, it means he's the most powerful. So you're telling oh. me time didn't pass and more people with shines didn't? Okay. Mm. All right. Um, all right. um, I I do like. I mean, there, there's all of that. Um. Like as far as like the like the cast is concerned as well, I've mentioned this before. There's a lot of like f- like flashback stuff that happens throughout, and in most franchises today, what do they do? They get the likeness of whoever the previous person was and just de-age them, right? Mm-hmm. So like in obviously we've seen this in Rogue One, you know, with Tarkin and and Leia. Um, and what's going to ha- what's happening now with James Earl Jones, Darth Vader voice, he signed over the voice rights. So from now to the end of time, whatever Disney decides, whatever, they got James Earl Jones voice for Darth Vader. Uh, and it's, oh. it's, it can be like de-aging has had some interesting results, definitely a very negative press. But what I like about this movie is it's like, okay, we're just going to recast these people and it works fine. They're great. In these, um, in these roles, you know, and it's not distracting seeing a, cause like, you know, you're seeing, Ooh, a, like Shelly, a de-aged Shelly Duvall, like, <laughs> or like a de-aged Jack Nick. No, see what I would have wanted. Just bring Jack Nicholson in <laughs> like he is today. And that would have been hysterical, but no, he still, um, like, he just looks like Jack, just like not even reading the lines. <laughs> He's just eating like no. nachos or something. I don't know. Like. You take a drink, Danny. It's okay. Nothing bad um, happens. We all cut yet? Like, uh, <laughs> was it Alex? Alex Esso, I believe the actress's um, name plays Wendy, who um, uh, she, is a Flanagan regular. On that note, she's been and in I also, a couple of different things. And another, uh, you said this Flanagan regular. Um, two dudes returnee, Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> Elliot himself. Elliot, uh, see, actually, no, none of that would have worked. We needed E.T. in the role of the bartender. <laughs> it's just, drag. 
Booze. Booze. <laughs> but, but it's booze. <laughs> that might be. I feel like that could be an after credit. Booze. I'll, I'll be right back. Back with booze. <laughs> Um, and, and that's, which is funny because E.T. gets drunk in E.T. <laughs> he does. And then apparently so does Elliot because oh they're connected God. psychically. It connects. See, Flanagan is just rhyming with E.T. That's what he's doing. <laughs> he was ignoring The Shining, even though he likes the movie. He did what he had to do. He was really rhyming with that scene in E.T. It's like, listen, he, he became friends with Henry Thomas with this plan. <laughs> this plan, plan that hopefully one day I can make this movie called Doctor Sleep and have this deep connection to another movie everyone knows him from, E.T., the extraterrestrial, <laughs> celebrating its 40th anniversary. So, point being, it's nice when you can recast. It's okay. You can! It's okay, guys. Even something as icon like as iconic as Jack Ni- as Jack Nicholson in The Shining. You, you know how many jokers it? there have been? been <laughs> almost, some might say too many. Too jokers. many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, it has been done, right? It's been done. Um, so I think that that's one of my admirations for this movie. As a legacy sequel, I'm mostly caring about this just as a story. But also I think it helps, too, that I'm not somebody who's like, I like The, Sh- I like the Shining. Yeah. But I'm not like holding it as like a sacred text. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like yeah. if I feel like if I was somebody who was more in love with it, maybe I would have been like more for the idea of just having a de-aged bunch of those characters. I mean, no, my opinions on de-aging, maybe not, but like hmm. you know, I think I would have been more for like okay, when we get to the Overlook guys, come on, because we well, do yeah, get to like, the Over. Yeah, so even in that instance, like it doesn't really give a shit about your typical legacy stuff literally until the third act. And when yeah, we get to the third act, it's it's. Here's the because here's the interesting thing about that uh, yep. third act of this movie is that this is because again you got to remember Mike Flanagan's juggling oh, so many different things. I want I want to mention one more thing. Carl Lumbly um, is in this as yes uh, he plays Dick, Hall- uh, Dick Halloran. Yes, yes, he's fantastic. I love him. Uh, but keep I wanted to mention him. Yeah. Make sure you're, you're, him. He, he needs to be mentioned. Um, great, great Dick Halloran, and uh, I'm glad they were able to incorporate him. Um. <laughs> So here's an interesting thing about this movie. So I feel like that third act is sort of a, a culmination of everything that Mike Flanagan's having to juggle with this movie, the shining yes. aspect and the Stephen King aspect. So if you, I, if you know the ending of the original book of the shining, the overlook hotel burns down. If I, if I heard correctly and that doesn't happen in the original Shining, because again, it's way too fucking cold, <laughs> and it's just, it's just nothing has was happening to cause it to burn down. So Mike Flanagan decides instead of doing the ending of the Doctor Sleep book, what we're gonna do is we're going to go back to the Overlook. The whole ending scene will be our big like reference to everything. We'll throw as many references as people want in there. We'll go to all the locations. They they do a really good job in that point of like faithfully recreating so yep. many locations. No. Absolutely. Um and uh he's like, okay, so we'll have this be the overlook from the Kubrick film. Um we'll have all these references of all those iconic shots. We'll even have bits where like Danny goes to the room and he sticks his head in the hole just like his dad did. 
um we'll have we'll have that great scene with uh jack torrance in the bar that sort of feels like a juxtaposition to the scene that he has in the original movie uh when jack's talking to lloyd because jack torrance is now lloyd in this movie because he's a ghost of the overlook um and uh they decide um mike flanagan decides we're gonna give that burning down ending to this movie so Stephen King will finally get the ending to The Shining that he didn't get from Kubrick. Mm-hmm. So that's his way of saying here, I'm going to give you this ending. And it works out for the movie. So it doesn't feel like it's a distraction because what you have to remember is that the Overlook throughout the movie, I don't know if we mentioned this, but the Overlook throughout the movie still haunts Danny. Like the ghosts are still prevalent for him. So Dick Holleran, when Danny was still a kid, teaches him a trick um, to take the ghosts, if they ever show up, like, I think the most prominent one is the, the bathtub woman. Um, she, uh, when she shows up, he, and I love this shot cause it's actually mirrored later. He walks into the bathroom, not afraid this time, shuts the door. And then you hear her screaming like, ah, because he traps her in a box in his head yeah. and keeps her there. And so I love, I love that imagery of like all the, all the boxes, Mm-hmm. that he's had to trap for all, all those years so he has all these ghosts stuck in his head like that's another thing he's having to deal with <laughs> as well like thank goodness danny had a had a good life before it all you know for the stuff with the rose the hat um but uh yeah so like they it's nice because like they're able to tie everything together so the reason they go to the overlook hotel is because that's where they want the final confrontation to be because the overlook hotel is in many respects is a lot like rose the hat and the true knot because they're the they they feed on people who shine essentially is how they how they put it so when they have the final confrontation um rose the hat gets to meet all of the ghosts that danny trapped in his head Mm mm-hmm and that scene is, whew. it's it's the Avengers Endgame of shining scenes. <laughs> we get all the ghosts at once. It's the it's the rise of Skywalker, and it's like all the ships are there. <laughs> the the bet I think one of my favorite things is when she's um when Rose the hat's in the maze, and you you see in the back in the background like the box. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just creeping up on her. Oh, oh. my god. There's, I think, I think honestly, Rebecca Ferguson, as far as like crazy moments in the movie, has some of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. She steals, like I, she really steals the show. Like, I think of the scene when she tries to like break into Abra's brain. Ugh, that scene was so good. And I like, I love when movies, like horror movies, turn the table on like the horror character. And so, like, they have to experience what they've made everyone else experience, mm-hmm. like eye for an eye. Like, I love that when that when that happens. So the retribution, uh, revenge, exactly. Even if it's on someone that I have a ha- a huge crush on, I'm okay with that. She's evil for sure. She hurts children. <laughs> <laughs> this is also a whole thing too, because Joey likes to make fun of me because I find villainous women attractive. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Elizabeth Olsen is not going to get anywhere near me with those, those you know dirty what? She doesn't have to. Or those razor, or the or ray, evil rays, like reptile teeth. Like, no, that ain't, and Richard's like, oh, the eyes don't, the eyes are fine. The eyes are fine. <laughs> it's more of the, the kidnapping, the child kidnapping. Oh, you know what? Speaking of that. 
the the see where I really hated Crow Daddy was when he has um the he has Abra and he, and he's guilt tripping her hard. Oh yeah, and he's just like we were gonna get you anyway, but now all these other people are dead. All when he says good people, all these good people like are, what you just yeah. killed Jacob Tremblay like two scenes ago. <laughs> what do you mean good people? <laughs> what do you mean? Oh my god. People? <laughs> what do you mean good people but no but 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 anyway so like this scene i love this scene so um rose the hat essentially like ch- like signals her brain to connect to abra and really cool imagery she's like flying through the sky and it's like the stars everywhere it's like peter pan it's like peter pan but with you know a child murderer yeah <laughs> you know i'm sure that was peter pan at a point for some interpretations where there's a <laughs> smile in your heart <laughs> You can fly, you can fly, you can fly. Never <laughs> smile at the at Rose the Hat. No, you can't be friendly with Rose the Hat. She'll suck your soul away. And she's got Crow Daddy A. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Keep going. So- I'm sorry. I'm derailing this hard. <laughs> I'm totally okay. I derail it all the time, so it's fine. There's a, there's a two, great minds. Get back <laughs> on track, and, and uh, to quote Aerosmith, the train kept the rolling. There you go. Um, so uh, she's basically she ends up in Abra's room, and well, in Abra's brain essentially, but it looks like her room, and right. she sees this these huge file cabinet, and she starts. Uh, she sees a drawer that says me on it, so she, uh, she starts fiddling through it to see if she can learn anything about Abra. Turns out, it's a trap, yo. Um, and the drawer closes on her hand, and uh, we look back, and there's Abra, like, in her own brain, but she's wearing, like, a, a pink wig, and her eyeballs are gone, and she's smiling at, <laughs> at Rose the Hat, and it's like, Jesus. And it turns out, she tricked her, and now she's in Rose the Hat's mind, and looking through all of her files, and Rose is freaking out. She's like, get out of my head! What the f- And, oh, the hand. Oh, the classic Mike Flanagan hand peel-away trick. This has happened, I believe, in uh, three of his movies, one of which being Doctor Sleep, where a character, for some reason, has to peel their hand away to escape. And it's such a gnarly thing. I remember like thinking, "Oh God, how's Joey gonna feel about this?" But then when it happened, when when uh, Rose pulls her hand out of the drawer, and like the skin is still there, <laughs> like you were like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Holy shit! That that was my reaction. Was whoa, <laughs> but not even like a. Or <laughs> like I'm like. <laughs> and the fact he's done it three times. Listen. Oh, I think the worst one though is still in Gerald's game. Um, I won't. I won't spoil it, but just know there is there. It happens in that movie. For the too. time being, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, no, the, I mean that's that's a wild, um, wild scene. I think honestly, that's the other cool thing too is they actually add like at least from like the original movie new like things with the shine that we didn't really get in the other movie, and it's a nice like. Oh yeah. Okay. Like, we don't need, like, lore and, like, lore BS or anything like that. But they do develop power nicely in ways that you don't expect and are, you know, kind of cool. So that's and, always yeah. um, that's always appreciated. And always just, like, this is the fact that we see different characters who all use the ability differently. Yeah. And the way they build that out. 
One thing that is, I think, worth noting as well, because obviously Danny and Abra team up to fight Rose the Hat, and they even bring, and Danny even brings his friend Billy. Um, one thing I just want to mention too, like, we didn't, we didn't say, we didn't, I don't think we said Cliff Curtis's name before. I just oh no, yeah, Cliff, Cliff Curtis, also an incredible actor who was in a movie uh, that we loved that came out. I, was it? Was did Reminiscence come out this year or last year? Last year, because that was the HBO last Max. Year. Um, yes. Know. Um, he's in, he's, he's, he's in reminiscence, but he's also in a lot of other things. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that is, uh, I appreciated when I first watched this and you pointed out and you appreciate it as well. They actually point out the awkward and potentially creepiness of, uh, a 13 year old and like a 45 ish, six fifty ish year old hanging out or like having to do yes. anything with each other. Because, like, you know, I, there's so many movies where, like, adults and kids have to team up for one reason or another. And no one really acknowledges how uncomfortable that could be. Or, like, like the, the implications that you're putting on there. And so it was nice that for two for two moments, you have Danny looking at Abra when Abra goes to, phys- like, meet him in person after they've been talking through the shine for so long. Um, and he's just going, we, like do you understand like this day and age, like uh, a grown man sitting with a child, like uh, uh, no bueno on that. And then of course the father, when, uh, when they have to go to Abra's house to explain everything that's going on, the father has a very rational reaction going, she is 13. (laughs) And she like, he like goes up on him and it's like, yeah, I get it. I would do the same thing. Yes. No. Yeah. That poor dad. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, Billy, that, that, poor Billy. That that was that was bad. Um, but I also want. Oh, and speaking of other like actors that are in this, um, mm. I have to mention. I'm probably going to mispronounce his name because I'm a loser. But that's a whole other thing. Carl Struken. Um, he okay. plays Grand, Grandpa Flick, and he's oh he, he, Lurch. Yes, Lurch. Um, Lurch the Adam family. But also because I've been rewatch, I've been watching Twin Peaks. He's the giant in Twin Peaks that we see in the dreams. Oh, that's, I do remember you telling me about that. That's really cool, actually. Um, and he, he's also in, sorry. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. You, you, you. He's also important because we get to see, like, the fate of these, uh, you know, true not people if they don't keep, you know, you know, vampiric eating, 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 eating the shine. Yeah. So, like, when we first meet them, the, it's in 1980 when the first movie happened. And, uh, then obviously, oh my dog's in here. Hi. Uh, obviously, as time goes on, um, they stay the same age because they continuously eat the shine. But obviously, their their eating isn't as well as Rose the Hat would like it to be. And so Grandpa Flick, who apparently, according to Rose the Hat, has lived since like Greek times, a long time, long like, time. Good God! Like to think the people he killed. Like to think, like, like you got to think about that that implication. Like, for him to have lived that long, so many people, children especially, had to have been killed. For the fact that they've lived as long as they have, from 1980, looking exactly like how they do, to looking exactly the same in 2019. Like Jesus fucking Christ. Yep. Like these are not good people. I don't care what Crow Daddy says. And then, like, like there's a big shootout scene, and uh, like. 
we we see how they like because they, when they get shot they don't just like die they like they like f- have a spasm and then they turn into smoke after they like sort of turn into like skeletons and flesh and themselves weird zombie looking things <laughs> <laughs> and then um uh snakebite andy uh having the power of manipulation uh made billy kill himself and that was that <sighs> that sucked mm-hmm. that sucked no hardly no it, d- it definitely did um I'm trying to think of anything else that like off the top of our heads um with this one but i also like i like the resolution of this movie as, as well you know I, we had to burn down the overlook and you know uh as it's like a star wars movie danny dies but he's a ghost he's a he's a good ghost he's a he's a shine ghost see that now my just mike flanagan like 20 years later have like a special edition where it's Scatman, <laughs> Scatman <laughs> Brothers, <laughs> and <laughs> and you and you and McGregor, and they just put Hayden Christensen in there just because, <laughs> and have like the the Ewoks do, <laughs> then Avra's hoisted up. No, the mob is hoisted up by the Ewoks just while they're oh, I did want to ask. So this does have a direct. Uh, is it a director's cut? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, as we know, Mike Flanagan has worked in a lot of, like, long-form entertainment with his shows, and this did feel like a compressed miniseries. Not that I felt like I was missing anything, but, like, it felt like, okay, if I was watching this, it would be, like, a six-episode, five- or six-episode miniseries, and I feel like some of these would be, like, episode episode breaks or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. My question is, like... um, what, what do you have a preference? Do you prefer the theatrical cut or do you prefer the director's cut? I haven't. Oh, do you have a? Do you have an opinion? Orf. Crackle, crackle. I don't know if she's. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she's having a, like a. Maybe she's dreaming right now. Bobo. And she's 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 just chilling. Um. <laughs> to be honest, when I think of because I I've seen the director's cut I think maybe once or twice mm-hmm. um, but I do think the theatrical cut works really well on its own but what I like about the director's cut is even though it is like it's 180 minutes so it's like it's pushing three hours if not over three hours I think I mean 180 minutes is three hours yeah so it's there <laughs> um, it's it does flesh things out a bit more but I still think you get the core of the story and the themes with the, with the theatrical cut, but what is added is still really good. And I think it makes the movie more enriching. I'm just pissed because the 4k doesn't put the director's cut on the Forte disc as well. It's nice that it's at least on a disc though. It's not like, cause I know some people when they have like extended cuts or director's cuts, they'll put it on like a digital copy. Like if you want this, right. They'll put it on a digital copy. I'm like, I don't want a digital copy. So at least, um, if you do want to watch the director's cut, it's on the Blu-ray, so that's cool. That's like Blade Runner, because um, I have the 4K. That was my first 4K, actually, was Blade Runner. They have the mm-hmm. final cut on the 4K, and then the, the, the Blu-ray has the the Blu-rays have like the other like 40 zillion cuts mm-hmm. of the movie. Well, like, that's also that's also like uh, the recent release of Army of Darkness from Shout. Yes, the, the theatrical cut is the only thing that's on 4K, but every all the other cuts 
uh, which I didn't know there was. I knew there was an extended or unrated cut, but I didn't know there was like an international one. Mm-hmm. A TV. Well, there's probably a TV one. Right, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I, again, I think my thing is like I like things to be at, at minimum available at 1080p because I think 1080p is pretty darn good for mm-hmm. picture quality for a lot of these things. So as long as it's available on that, that's fine. I can get it on a hard disc, but like you know, it would be nice to have everything in the highest um in the highest possible version you know as, as the, ner- it, the nerds yeah as the nerds the nerds yeah. the nerds that we are you know yeah, we just, for sure the best version for everything <laughs> we pay for it we i put it. the money out i was one of the people that contributed to this box office give it to me now um no <laughs> please <laughs> please thank you mr flanagan um water brothers i will say it is a great looking 4k though Mm-hmm. Like the cinematography is outstanding. I think I don't remember the guy's name, but I know he's worked with Mike Flanagan quite a bit, on, especially on recent stuff. Please uh, look Mike, up that name. Uh, uh, Mike Fimonari. Is that how it's pronounced? Again, a, yeah, when we edit this, there's going to be like a couple names where I'm okay. like, please timestamp these names. I do know that in some of the episodes of Mike's Mike Flanagan's TV shows that he also directed. I know he directed some episodes of The Midnight Club as well, that cinematographer. It, it, uh, yeah, this is a. I mean, I watched it on HBO Max stream, but it, I was watching my 4K TV, and it lo- it looked gorgeous, you know. And that's the other thing too, because visually, the original film is out is still outstanding. Yeah, um, the, the Shining is outstanding. So you need to have something like the story they got right, of course, too here. But you really got to nail like the visual aesthetics, M- make your own thing, but also like you know, yeah, have like a lot of recreations and stuff. So. On all those fronts, they really did an excellent job there. So here's here's a question I have for you. Um, Me, for, I have a question for you in regards to this uh, film because obviously I've I've deep dived into Flanagan's work. You know, I've I don't know I haven't seen every single thing he's done because there's some of his early work that I still haven't seen. But pretty much I've seen everything on Netflix. I've seen I own. All th- I think all three of his theatrical releases, at least, well, I don't have Before I Wake, uh, but I do have Oculus, I have Ouija, I have Doctor Sleep. Here's my question. Um, after watching this, um, do you have more of an interest in Mike Flanagan, and is there anything else that he's done that you're that you're interested in checking out? Um, yes. To answer that question, yes. Um... I do want to check out Midnight Mass, but again, it's also one of those things where, like, with, like, a Netflix thing, I'm like, I gotta sit down and do it. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like, like with anything else between, you know, because, again, I still have to rewatch the whole Twin Peaks return, which is 18 episodes, and they're like, there's not kidding around, like, 45, it's like 50-something minutes episodes. <laughs> um, I'm, I, I got a lot of stuff I watch, plus our show. <laughs> but I think... You know, I it, it, it to answer your question though, yes, I do want to jump into the Flanover the the Flanovers. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, I still remember seeing Netflix put out a trailer for all the shows that he's worked on for them, and just just the fact that they called it the Flanovers. I I wonder if he came up with that or if that was a marketing thing with Netflix, but it's just funny at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. but that is good to hear. And it makes me excited to see if you decide to check anything else out. Um, I hope he's got a movie coming out because I know he's worked on these shows and he's great with the long form. And I think he's incredible on the Netflix shows. And I, I'm glad he's got the creative freedom 
on Netflix mm-hmm. to be able to tell the stories he wants to tell. And I'm very excited for Fall of the House of Usher, um, yeah. which our, our good friend Chris Olivier worked on. <laughs> it should be noted. He was very excited mm-hmm. to work on that one as well from what he was telling me. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm just excited to see whatever he's got next, but I am excited to see if he's got a movie coming out at any point. Um, so, but I'm glad you liked it. I, that was my, that was like, cause I know you were nervous about me liking the shining more than you. <laughs> I was nervous about whether or not you would like Mike Flanagan at all. So I'm very happy that this worked out the way that it did. <laughs> Oh my god. Can I tell you something about Chris Olivier real quick? Because he yes. asked me the, the other day. Um, he was listening to the, the, the uh, Most Dangerous Predator and Prey episode, mm. and he was laughing when I talked about apologizing for misgendering the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I do, yeah. That was, I I was admittedly like, you know what? Yeah, I'll let him go with that one. <laughs> Just Listen. Listen, dogs I mean, are dogs deserve love too. They do. Listen, and there are some serious dog people out there. Yeah, I know because listen, I'm my, dating. I my dog was behind me. Now she's not. I don't know where she went, but she was behind me. Well, it's it's like uh, you know, it's kind of like the um, the joke that the Michael Caine led movie alludes to. Now you see me. Now you don't. <laughs> <laughs> The third act is called The Prestige. <laughs> Another great... Um, you know what they say, Richard? The Illusionist. It exists. <laughs> Bippity-boppity-boo. Boo. Cackle-cackle. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, but I think this was a great double feature pairing. I know... We try not to do... We've done sequel series, like yeah. things with sequels and all that before. So we've broken our own rules. We do it plenty of times. But mm-hmm. this was an interesting case study because these are two different filmmakers, both visually distinct, but also a great case study of how to do a legacy sequel, for one. Try to tell your own... Like, try to tell a, a cool, you know, cool... Again, based off a st- book, but also make it unique, you know. Um, and, um, yeah... I think also yeah. like th- things can be like scary, but it's not just scary for shock value. There's also like a, like a, like a somberness, like a sadness to some of this, the proceedings that are going on um, in the stories, particularly with our second feature, which is something I do appreciate. Um, and I'm looking forward to checking out the works of uh, Mike Flanagan. Eventually. I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you are potentially becoming a what I like to call a Flana fan. <laughs> By that, you of course mean a fan of flannels, obviously, but also obviously. a fan of Mike Flanagan. Yeah, that just, right. that just goes together. And so, what you're telling um, me is, if I send you a picture of Mike Flanagan and a fa- and a flannel. That that might be a good selling point, but <laughs> I, 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 yeah, that would be <laughs> if 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 for some reason Mike Flanagan does end up listening to this, I, I, I'm both sorry for the ridiculousness, but I hope you had a good time and I love your work. <laughs> <laughs> and for the record, I am not a fan of the phrase Flanaverse. I have no problem with like 
something related. It's fine. The Flaniverse. <laughs> what is going on? What is uh, going on? It's give or take for me, but I'm just happy you make shit. So <laughs> you make good stuff. <laughs> if it means I have to exist in the Flaniverse, I'll take it. <laughs> You know what? I hope I don't exist in the Flanderverse because that means there's like people who are like suck my souls and there's like a lot of hand peeling. But I know. get to be Rose the Hat. <laughs> so I but then again, as we've determined, I'm screwed when it comes to female villain You're characters. When it comes you to are, women characters. You are, you are done. Like, you know, I'm dead. No. Rich, <laughs> for you, it'd be like the reverse Drew Barrymore because it'd be like, oh, he's just going to die now. We know. We know. <laughs> like, like we know. you just see me walk into the, you see me walk into the scene, you see a woman walk up, incredibly beautiful, also incredibly charming, clearly evil, and I'm not like running away. I'm like, there's Hi. no red flags. There's no red flags for you. <laughs> I'm just if, if at best I'd be super nervous to say anything. So I'm like she's so pretty, I should walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, what's your favorite uh, Stephen King uh, thing, and um, why is it Pet Cemetery? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one you picked. <laughs> I, uh, What's uh, your favorite Stephen King Stephen King thing, and why is it misery? <laughs> What's your favorite? Uh, you know, I'm going to rephrase that because th that's going to sound mean. In case Mike Flanagan listens, <laughs> let me make this the Mike Flanagan version. <clears throat> okay, folks. <laughs> What's your favorite? <laughs> the little, the little, <clears throat> the little throat clear is great. <laughs> anyway, folks, what are your favorite Stephen King stories? What are your favorite Mike Flanagan things? Do you like flannels? Um, are you attracted to Rose the Hat? How I am incredible is you is you and McGregor at playing older versions of established characters. Very. I think Christopher Robin and his own performances, Obi Wan, and um, this is Danny Torrance. He's quite he's good in this. Very movie. good. He's he's very good. Um, and uh, what are your thoughts on the thun the the thunder and lightning effects that we put in? Crackle crackle. Uh, that's gonna <laughs> wrap it up. Very convincing effect. Uh, anyway, it's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone, and happy Halloween. Crackle, crackle. Thank you all for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. Thank you guys for everything you do. We love you both so much. And, of course, stay tuned for a brand-new episode of Two Dudes, One Double Feature. It's like sure. it's a wonderful it's life up there. of axe movies. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um.